Welcome back to the Understanding Men podcast, which is basically two guys talking about things that men could but don't speak about anywhere near enough. I'm Luke Sutton, and I'm once again here with my great friend, Fraser Franks. Thank you for joining us for today's episode, and we have a very exciting guest. I would like to introduce you to Persia Lawson. Persia is a dating and relationship coach, a three times author and speaker, and she has been named as one of the most successful love coaches by The Times and an irreverent British guru by Marie Claire magazine. Her work is regularly featured in Vogue, Cosmopolitan and the BBC and her podcast, Love is Coming, was recently rated in the top three dating and relationship podcasts in the UK. Welcome Persia, how are you doing? I'm good now. I, uh, I've had quite a hectic morning because my husband and I are about to move out because we're starting renovating. So it's been hectic, but I actually feel really calm because this is my zone of comfort doing podcasts. So I feel great now. Good. Well, I mean, not to put any pressure on you, but you are our first female guest. Which, Woo! Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> I know this is a pretty big broadcasting moment for you, but in our Understanding Men podcast, we obviously all angled at men's issues, but we always felt it was really important to get some female guests on. So it's great to have you on. Fraser, how are you? Just check in with you. I'm good. I'm good. Sorry, Persia. Luke does this before every episode. Eight weeks ago, I had open heart surgery. So he checks in with me, making sure I'm, I'm all good. Yeah, we did one not long ago and it's the best I've felt in a long time. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm oh, good. Wow. I'm doing well. Yeah. You absolute trooper. <laughs> well, we were saying before this, we did actually plan, slightly underestimated what open heart surgery would be like. And we had uh, an episode after about a week or 10 days that we had in the schedule that I thought I'd be able to do, but quite quickly realised it was a little bit of a different operation than I, <laughs> than I thought it would be. He's got a very impressive scar down the middle of his chest, Persia. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, cool. Is, yeah. yeah, a yeah. Scars are cool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Amazing. Well, Persia, we're going to dive straight in, into the deep end. In the relationship love game, who is the worst performing, men or women? Do you know what? I'm going to say something that will probably be viewed controversial, as quite controversial, depending on who you are and if you identify as a man or a woman. I think it's very commonly accepted or or kind of a lot of people would probably say, oh, men are useless at relationships or struggle a lot more. And women, this is sort of more their domain and they they struggle less or they're better. I can say that from my own experience and actually from working with a hell of a lot of women, I actually think we're, there's, it's really a tie. But we struggle, in many ways, we struggle with a lot of the same things. And, and, and then we also struggle with, with different things. So I would actually argue that it is a tie. We're equally bad mm. and equally good at performing. Okay. One of the, the big themes of we've talked about so far within our episodes has been, I guess, men struggling. I don't know if it's the right word, but adjusting or struggling to changing times of female empowerment and not necessarily knowing quite where they fit. This is a massive sweep, sweeping generalization. I don't mean it quite like that, but 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 men having to adjust to to an era of female empowerment and and understanding where their role is within life, household, work, et cetera, et cetera. Do, do you think there's been a, a an adjustment around that within, you know, the dating game that, that men, I don't know, in the last 10 years of essentially getting used to, to wanting to date women who feel much more empowered about themselves? I think that this is a really interesting angle and conversation because I actually wrote a whole chapter in my book about this because if you if you think about the context in the grand scheme of history we have lived in a patriarchal culture men have ruled the roost in all walks of life or in all of the domains women were required to sort of be silent for a lot of the time they didn't really have a voice they had to do what their husband said what some shocking research I discovered was that Marital rape was not made illegal until 1991. You think about when women actually started to have control over their money, property, 
or careers. It really hasn't been long. We're talking like the last 50 years in, in the grand scheme of history. That's no time at all. So on the women's side, we've been trying to find our feet and navigate having more power and, and choice and freedom, which of course is great, but also has many issues with it. And then on the other side of that, it completely is inevitably going to affect how women and men relate to one another. And it it makes sense that I think some men love and are very open to um, and kind of comfortable with the idea of this, this shifting, let's be honest, power dynamics in many, many respects. You know, I have a lot of clients who well out earn their partners. Some of the guys are fine with that. And some of them it it feels very masculine emasculinating i can't say that word emasculinating is that how you say it emasculating i don't know you, I, know, you know what i mean i know what you mean i feel like i don't want to have a go at that but yeah no no I know no, what you no mean. don't don't, don't yeah. go there i think we we all actually have to compassion have compassion for ourselves and for each other i think the problem happens where we go it's men versus women and i really don't see it that way when you approach any problem or any challenge in life from a, it's, it's not you versus me, it's us against whatever this problem and this issue is. And that's why having conversations like this is so important because we get to see it from the other side. You know, a lot of women come to work with me and they do in their mind, they've set up men as the enemy because yes, they've been burned of, of quite a few times. They, they are completely unconscious as to their part in it. And, and the fact that the history of women and, and what we've had to contend with for all, you know, thousands of years, how much that actually plays into all mm. the drama and all the issues. So it starts with us looking at our part in it. But it also, if we can go like, you know what? I, I think it's a very basic, it's a basic approach to kind of think that, oh, because of the patriarchal culture, men have had it great and easy and still still do. And women have had it really hard. I can speak for myself and say I I I'm really glad that I'm a woman. I think that there's that we have, you know, obviously in today's world, probably not 300 years ago, but I think that men are going through a massive awakening at the moment and you know, I know a lot of guys that are like they're scared to chat women up because they're I don't know where where are the lines. I'm scared of, you know, I don't know what to say anymore. I'm scared that I could I don't want to offend anyone. And so in many ways that kind of People aren't knowing how to how to navigate all of these things. Whereas if we just go, look, I'm here to learn. I know that, that I've got a lot to learn. There's things I don't know, I don't understand. How about we just come from a standpoint of compassion, openness, and, and it's okay to get things wrong because we're going to get things wrong. Mm. I've gone on off an, on a massive no, digression now, but hopefully that kind of answers the question. No, very much so. And I, I think, you know, one of our real passions for starting this podcast, we, we felt like in recent times, particularly young men, you know, I've got a son and two stepsons, but we felt like young men have, have been left alone a little bit in recent times to, to, to we're almost like, come on, you need to work this out yourselves. And, and at the same time, there being huge shifts in the, the planes of all sorts of things for young men, but particularly around relationships. And the, the interesting thing is, I think that there are a lot of men and I don't know where I'm getting this from. I think it's just a presumption who are really on board with female empowerment and they love it and they're happy to to, to embrace it and be part of it and support it. But, but they still don't quite know where they fit within that. So that it's not that they're unsupportive. It's just like, OK, so what do I do now? Do I? And and then, you know, there, there's this sort of pushback now or there has been in recent years of come on, you need to be a more of an alpha male and so they're hearing this influence versus then, well, actually, no, I, I shouldn't be like that. And it's, I think they don't quite know where to position themselves. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of conflicting messages. And I know because I, I speak to women all the time and I, I just think, no wonder these poor guys who are dating are struggling as well. Like, stop just thinking it's you. Because on the one hand, you've got women saying, I want the alpha man, the man who's in his power, in kind of spiritual wellness circles, there's a lot of talk. I want my king, I want my kin, I want him in, you know, his powerful, divine, masculine. That's great. But then also the other side of that is he needs to also be like really, you know, open, good at communicating, like basically connected to the more feminine aspects of, of, of himself, which is, you know, it's possible, but that's, that is like, 
very confusing. I've got women saying to me, you know, I want a man to take the lead. I want, you know, I want him to to flirt and to be really like forthcoming. But then other the women or sometimes even the same woman saying, well, I don't want him to, I don't want to feel pressured. I don't want to feel that they've come on too strong. You know what I mean? So I, I completely understand why men would feel conflicted at the moment. I've actually spoken to some women about this and some women like are on the same page as me with it and go, yeah, I think actually men are struggling. Again, generalization, some men, look, you know, we can't lump all people into one category because, for example, with the Me Too movement, you know, we were looking at like predators there. That was about predators. Then like that doesn't mean that all men who have maybe made a move on a woman thinking that's what the woman wanted were necessarily like assholes or like, you know, mm. like really in the wrong. I just think maybe they misread a signal and they were confused about about it. I've got other women saying to me that they're really, they just, they basically just, they almost just don't know what they want. That's what I want to say. They, women are confused. Men are confused Mm. because so much has changed so quickly. And so again, the only way that we can figure this out is to, is to have these conversations. And sometimes they're really hard. The thing that women struggle with the most uh, in relationships is feeling brave enough to communicate what their boundaries are to a man and what it is that they desire. But until we do that, how on earth do we expect a man to go? Because because us women tend to, you know, we are very good at reading signals and body language and, and sort of reading the room and all of these things that we've had to do because that's how we, we've survived in a very challenging world for women for many years. If you said the wrong thing, you might get burned at the stake if you, you know, for example. <laughs> but that's the reality. So we've had to to learn these very covert ways of 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 getting our needs met, and we expect men. It's like the whole thing of men are from Mars, women are from Venus. We kind of expect men. You know that 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 classic cliche of well, if he doesn't know, then I'm not going to tell him. It's like no, you have to tell him. You have to spell it out for him because he's not thinking in the same way that you are. We have completely different experiences of life and therefore approaches to life. So you have to be brave enough to actually communicate what it is you want and what it is you don't want or is a problem for you. And that's the biggest hurdle that I see. The other side of it is women come to me, oh, man, he won't communicate. He won't won't talk about his feelings and, and all of that. But it's like, yes, because... Men have been conditioned not to because it makes them be seen as weak. And and so this is it. It's really, really messy. Mm. I already find this fascinating. And we, we had a we had an episode on with um he's a men's coach, isn't he, Simon? And we talked quite a lot about masculine and feminine energy. And I think a lot of people feel like they have to go all in on one. So they have to be this alpha and this masculine guy. But we both have a you know, we have a mixture of those two and being able to tap into them at the right times. But a lot of what you're saying as well comes down to being self-aware and understanding, you know, your own needs and what you want and what the other person may 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 need or want. But also so much of it, and a lot of the work that we're doing with, with men at the moment, so much of it goes down from what came before us, you know, going from hundreds of years ago to how men and women have evolved to how our parents were and what we witnessed growing up and how we sort of reenact that in certain behaviors and our ideas of love. I've looked a lot on on love languages and you know some people think giving love is buying a gift and some people want to be touched and some people want to be held. And I think we are all a little bit confused. And I think a, a really good point I loved what you said there was about men approaching women. And I think a lot of men now are really terrified of that because they don't want to be seen as, you know, if I get this wrong, it could have real bad consequences. And that's where maybe the shift has become online dating and approaching women online instead of face-to-face, as well as the way technology has gone, but might seem a safer option for a lot of men if they're sending a text message or they're they're doing that kind of thing rather than, you know, the, the traditional walking up to a female and there's that, that fear and those signals and the energy that you pick up. But already, I I find this completely fascinating, getting it from a female point of view. You know, what's really interesting you just made me think of, and I don't remember where I heard this, 
that somewhere once I heard this idea and I'd love your take on this. Women's greatest fear with regards to men is is being murdered or, you know, the violence. We've all, as a woman, how many times I've crossed a road because I thought a guy might be following me at night and he may or may not have been, mm. but I've had too many close calls that I'm like, I'm not going to take my chances. Whereas men, it's the idea of being rejected or humiliated by or in front of a woman. And all mm. the guys I've spoke to is like the, the, the absolute paralyzing fear of hitting on a girl and being rejected and I find that really, really interesting and has made me have so much more compassion for men because that's, I think, something that we might experience it in different ways. But the thing that the fear of being rejected by the other, you know, women have a huge, we're used to it, but being rejected by a man, ghosted, all those things that get talked about a lot these days, because I think that there still is that thing that lives within us as women, whether we care to admit it or not, that our identity and our security, most importantly, was so much tied to being with a man, you know, who our husband was and he would provide for us. So it was like literally keeping keeping a roof over our head and food on the table. And so even though now women, we can take care of ourselves, I think that that's still very inbuilt within us. So having our partner cheat or, you know, cliche running off with a younger model, younger version of us creates such, such shame and fear. And for men, and I'm interested actually on your thoughts on this. Like, why is it? It firstly, is that, does that feel true? That men have this, this fear of being rejected by a woman if they say they, they hit on, on her. And why? Like, where does that come from? It's really interesting because I wonder, we, we've talked about how the old construct of a man, you know, what my dad and his dad and, and before, you know, in the same way you've talked about historically with women, with men, vulnerability is not, not a thing, you know? We've already talked about how generationally, you know, dads to sons haven't necessarily hugged them or told them that they love them or, you know, and it's not a criticism, it's just a, a passage of time situation. So that that vulnerability thing is not it is being passed down and i think so therefore the the thought of a rejection taps into that it's like oh you're going to be vulnerable here and and i and i don't think and i'm saying all of this i i don't think these are conscious thoughts or feelings for men i, I think they're trying to work it out real time but it's that it's tapping in going you're not meant to be vulnerable you're not meant to be the one so then any slight danger of it makes a man kind of retreat and go no 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 I need to get back to that safety of not expressing emotion and not not putting myself in, in any way vulnerable and I think that's all part of the the conflict of what men are going through nowadays they don't quite know I should I be vulnerable should I be alpha should I I don't quite know where I fit with it Fraser sorry I interrupted you what do you think no it was it was really funny because you said you didn't know where you heard that from and I've stayed with a, an amazing couple the last couple of days. Shout out the Kershaws because I know they listen. But they're, you know, training to be therapists and, and Andy does a lot of men's work. She told me this exact, exact quote what you just said about men's biggest fear and women's biggest fear. And she was she brought up our mate again, Andrew Tate, who's come up a few times on here. But she'd heard that one thing that he's saying to a lot of young men is you want to marry a virgin. And she was saying about male insecurity and that men's biggest fear of humiliation or being laughed at or being rejected. And if you were to go with a more experienced woman, you've got all those comparisons, you've got experiences that she's had before, and there's a lot of male insecurity going into it where he's he's then relaying the message that you want your woman to be pure. And it's almost that you're her first time and you'll then be able to dominate and she'll know her place, that kind of thing. Whereas that comes down to pure insecurity for me. And when I heard her say about men's biggest fear is that embarrassment or is that fear of rejection? And I, I really sort of understood that when, when I heard her talk about it. Persia, we've talked a lot on or our very first episode we actually we thought we'd go for it and we talked about 
sex and intimacy and the effect of porn for, for men and some context both Fraser and I came from professional sport backgrounds it's very alpha the environment we grew up in around how to relationships and things like that it was very much old school alpha being faithful was was not really a thing you know we're being totally transparent but but we really wanted to talk about how I I think a lot of men really struggle silently in pain around massive insecurity around sex and body image and it, it's it eats away at them because it's a thing they can't admit but just Fraser bringing it up there and you know that that kind of insecurity about sex I, I do you think that's a thing for I, I you know I'm, I, I know your focus is on women but for both men and women it's a much bigger issue than people let on yeah I think with women this is something that you know is it, we're all very comfortable talking about it, especially these days. We're very used to be talking about body shame and the body positive movement. There's so much good that's happened in that in that arena. But for men, and I'm not saying it's not happening, but it's certainly not happening with the same velocity that it has been for women. And again, it comes back to what you said, Luke, about vulnerability. Because I can only imagine that as a man to, to say, you know what, I experiencing body shame. I don't like my body. I feel really insecure about sex. For a woman, that's something women talk about all the time. It's very, very much in the mainstream and it has been for a long time. And for men, it's not, you know, it's really not. What I'm thinking of here is Brene Brown. I think her work, you know, around shame and vulnerability is very much aligned with this conversation. And she talks about how from all the research she'd done, she knew she was very clear that vulnerability was an antidote to shame and speaking because shame thrives in, in silence. And so speaking up and being vulnerable is the key to overcoming it. But what she really had to contend with that she hadn't thought about was how men being vulnerable made, made her extremely uncomfortable mm-hmm. because we as women have been shown this, this vision of, you know, the man, you're, you're struggling. The man comes in on the white horse and, and fixes you. And I and I can be really honest and say, seeing my dad cry, which has been like once probably that I can recall, was so uncomfortable for me because I hadn't really seen it. Even though, and and even seeing my husband, I my husband is he's a very interesting specimen. He's very in touch with his feminine, but he's also very in his masculine. It's it, I haven't met many men who sort of go between them in the way that he does. But it can, and he he's actually made me feel more comfortable with a man being vulnerable, but probably because he's also very in his masculine. When I have come across men who are, yeah, I guess like very in their feminine, not so connected to their masculine, it can make, it can bring up feelings of, you know, because we're not used to it and we don't know how to play our role when suddenly the roles are reversed. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. I, I mean, I, I, is it the roles thing? Is that a primal thing or is that just a passage of time thing? It, yeah, conditioning. I, just conditioning, is it? Well, I think it's, it's nature versus nurture, isn't it? I imagine a lot of it is, look, if we just look on a really basic level, biologically, men and women are very different. Generally speaking, men are physically stronger. In ancient times, cavemen days, for the majority, men would be out hunter gathering. You know, they were doing that that sort of work. They were away. Women were together, bringing up the kids and probably talking a lot. And you know, so that, so that was the way that those biologically played out for our survival. We had different roles, and in more recent times, and this is what we were talking about right at the start. It's like everything is now. Women suddenly are going out bringing in the meat, metaphorically speaking, you know, bringing the money, being, in many cases, being the provider. And it's just, it's bringing up all sorts of things. Some people are very comfortable with it and open to it. Some people, it's like, I don't know, I don't know where I fit in. I don't know what role I need to, I should be playing. It's all been turned on its head. So I, I think it's, I think it's a real mixture of, you know, we've also been very conditioned. You think about my brother-in-law's about to have a baby and they decided not to find out whether it's going to be a boy or girl. I'm very excited for the surprise that's coming in a month. But part of that is the minute you go, boy or girl, the first thing you do, right, we'll buy blue stuff, we'll buy pink stuff. The conditioning starts to happen immediately. And again, we are 
much more aware as a collective around all of this. You know, the Barbie movie is very of its time of, you know, of, of challenging traditional gender roles and stereotypes. But I think it's so deeply ingrained in us that while we're like right at the beginning stage of this, we're in the awareness and you talked about self-awareness, Fraser, and, and I, you know, that is the first step. But what happens when you start to become aware of, you know, you, you've taken for granted all of this time that have been completely normal to you. It's like having the sort of cloak of denial ripped off. It's like, it's like unplugging from the gender matrix. That's what it feels like. And it's kind of like, at first, it's really scary and overwhelming and confusing. And, and I think we're going to be here for some time. You know, I, I, I don't think that there are no easy answers to any of this. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's conditioning and it's nature and it's nurture. Yeah, there was one uh, interesting bit that came up when we, again, when we had Simon Custard on, who works with a lot of men. And there's obviously very individual takes on a lot of this. Where I had really contradicting thoughts was he said he's got a group of sort of brothers, so men that he can he can lean on and rely on, that are, you know, mentors and friends and just people that he can speak really openly and honestly with. And he said he'll he'll tell them everything but he might hold back a few things from his wife and maybe doesn't need to tell her everything. And then maybe he's still got that alpha, you know, masculine presence. He's still open and honest and vulnerable. But then I've said that to another friend of mine and he's got the opposite opinion of, no, I want to tell my wife absolutely everything. Where, where, do, you, where do you see that aspect of vulnerability? Can you understand those, those two sort of contrasting opinions? Yes, what a great question. I love this. So what it's immediately made me think of, okay, firstly, I'll say, I think it's really healthy in a relationship to not share absolutely everything, not because you can't. I know I could tell my husband everything. He's just not the best person for me to tell everything. I always come (laughs) back to the um, Carl Hildebrand who wrote The Prophet and he says of marriage, but I think it's true of relationships. He says, you should be like the pillars of the temple, not too close, not too far uh, apart. So you're holding up this structure of the relationship i.e. you have your own independence. I know that there are some things that I might be struggling with that I can tell my husband and he'll give it a good go and he'll, you know, be, he'll do all the right noises, but he doesn't have a clue what I'm talking about. It's just not his area of expertise in the same way. It's exactly the same the other way around too. And so I know that actually certain girlfriends are going to be able to be a lot more helpful with that particular thing. And we met this guy, (laughs) how we meet, I mean, me and my husband met in a festival and we've met a lot of our best friends in festivals. It's just off what we love. I don't know if you can tell from the hat, but um, (laughs) we met this guy called Lawrence, this Welsh guy called Lawrence, who is really interesting with regards to this conversation because he is very much in his masculine. He's very, you know, very fit, very, he's very sort of strong alpha in a lot of ways. But he's also very connected to his feminine and as in like he, and I think he's gone through quite a shift in recent years, but he he can have these really deep conversations. And so my husband, like they've become like BFFs and I've heard them on the phone and I'm like, oh, sounds like me and my girlfriend having a chat. It's like, obviously there are different nuances, but but I'm seeing how, and it's so beautiful to, to witness as a woman to see men actually like you guys, what you're doing having these conversations and and because I there are certain things I am not going to understand about being a man in the way that Lawrence and my husband they're going to understand each other in a way that I never could and I it, it comes from insecurity and trust me I've been there in myself in past relationships but I've definitely seen a lot of women there where it's like ownership of like you know you're my husband or you're my boyfriend you tell me everything and the jealousy and the insecurity of them going off and having their time with their guys Whereas I'm like, you know, I encourage my husband, you go off and you go away, you go on holiday, you go, like we, we do a lot together, we do a lot apart. And I've grown up watching my mum and dad have a lot of time. My dad uh, treks in mountains, he's a big adventurer. My mum's not interested in that. So, you know, she's gone today to go and meet dad in India and they'll have time together and that's great. But my dad goes off with it, you know, with often with men and will go and sort of be in the mountains and have his mountain time. And, and I think that that is a really healthy thing that we we learn and we have that we have the confidence and the security within ourselves to know that them a man going off and being with his guy mates who are going to understand certain things about him more than than his wife or girlfriend might is actually only gonna benefit the relationship 
and we we've got you've got to you've got to be confident within yourself and, and within the relationship to not to not find that threatening which i know a lot of women do they see their man going off with the boys or whatever they see that as a threat because let's be honest if they're going out with certain guys like this is a generalization that has meant or that's when he goes off and cheats or in the in the woman's mind that can that yeah, he goes out drinking with the guys that that could mean he's going to meet other women and all of this i don't see it as that but that's because i coming back to self-awareness i've done a hell of a lot of work on myself and no if he's going to do that i have no power over that but i also know i'm very clear on my boundaries and was that when i first met him so it comes to communication it comes to self it comes back to self-awareness and it comes back to you know someone who's securing themselves encourages their partner to go and have space and to go and connect mm. with other men mm. i believe yeah, I, I think the and what Simon said, what Fraser brilliantly referred to, he said something along the lines of, it, "It's for me to bring my whole healed self to my wife," and I love that. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like he, it, it, the way I expressed it was like, "I want to bring my best version to my wife," and it's not her responsibility to heal me in order to do that. I I have to lean on men to do that, and I love that. I just wanted to move this on to which fits a little bit around what we're talking about. It there definitely feels like we're in an age where, and I don't know if I'm going to phrase this correctly or not, but it's it's much more acceptable to be single. It's much more much more popular to be single. I don't know if that's the right way. Whereas whereas previously there was there was definitely that kind of like again, I, I don't know if I'm phrasing it the right way, that kind of rush to find a partner and, you know, for for lots of different reasons. But it feels like we're in a slightly different age. If I'm did you do you get that pressure or is that is that not the case? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you've got books that um have come out quite recent uh, well in the last few years. The unexpected joys of being single is that is the one that comes to mind. I think again going to stereotypes we've always thought for as long as as time, you know, uh that men in fact, I've got to say this is really interesting. I once overheard two women talking in a bathroom, in a bar or pub or somewhere. And one of them said to the other, do you know that after 30, a woman's perceived value in the dating marketplace goes down while a man's goes up? So a man, it's like for a man to be single in his 30s, 40s, it's, it's absolutely fine because his career will be progressing. And so he, the older he becomes, the more desirable he becomes as a partner. Whereas a woman, and biological clock's probably a big part of that, if you are a woman who wants to have kids, like there is a time limit on that. So there, you know, we've got a, we've got a window. So on the one hand, I'd say culturally, yes, things like dating apps, they they encourage us to play the field shows you how much choice there is. But at the same time, whilst it, I think it's been made cool to be single and there's, there's so many options if you are single and, you know, there's things like more people are living communally which used to just be like, oh, that's weird hippies who do that. And now it's like, actually, it makes quite good sense. And so therefore, you don't you don't actually feel you need the relationship in the same way. Women, as we've already talked about before, we did, you know, you were you were a spinster. Like there was so much, a man was a, a, is a bachelor if he's single, a woman who's single at 40, 50, whatever, she's a spinster. It's like derogatory because her purpose is to have kids and raise a family primarily, you know? So I think that we're, thank God, moving away from that. But that brings up another problem for women because there are still a lot of women who do, I wouldn't do what I do if there weren't, as there are a lot of women, particularly women who are really successful, who do want to still have a partner, possibly have kids, but they don't want to feel they've got to sacrifice their career. And a lot of a lot of those women do feel that. And then there's the question, is that, does she really want a husband, a family, or is that still conditioning that's so deeply ingrained of like, that women still get? It's like, oh, you can have the career, but but you can't just have the career because otherwise you're just a ball breaker and you basically have to, you know, in order to get, and this is, a, I mean, this is going off on a different tangent, but in order for a woman to be successful as a, um, in career, she's got to adopt these really masculine traits which men don't like and that makes her less appealing as a partner it it just it's like every question sort of then leads to another question so going back to your original point I actually can't even remember what your question was (laughs) no just that that more people are single you know there seems to be oh yeah yeah 
Yeah. I was actually going to just ask on, on what you were saying there about highly successful women is in those scenarios, again, I don't know if I'm, it sort of feels politically correct to ask this, but it could that woman essentially be wanting to have children and wanting to have a fa- obviously a, a father for that child in a heterosexual relationship, but not necessarily wanting a husband. Is that coming in more? You know, that is happening more, more often, a lot more often. And in fact, I kind of quite recently got into sound healing. I, I'm a singer and write songs and all sorts. So I've been collaborating with, with sound healers. And we're actually doing a baby shower in a month for a woman who's chosen to, to have a baby on her own. She's super successful in her career and she's chosen to do that. And that's something we're seeing more and more. And I think that before when, you know, that's been going on for a while, but it was almost, I'm not saying this was true, but the perspective was, and I've had women talk to me about this, that that was like, it was seen as a shameful thing. It's like, oh, because I can't get a man or or, or it's perceived that way. And I, but I really want to have a kid that I'm going to do this because I don't have another option. Whereas now I think we're starting to see it as, it's not that we're, this is like a backup option. This is the choice. This is the choice. And that raises the other question of how important is having a man or a father figure in the life of a child? Does it need to be the biological father? Can that, you know, I believe it does take a village to raise both a happy couple, thriving couple and, and a child or a family. So yeah, I think it's happening more and more and that the the narrative around it is shifting and it's shifting pretty rapidly. We touched on briefly on on the topic of sex and pornography. I'm quite interested in in your take on this and it's something that myself and Luke have spoken about a little bit. It's something that I do in part of my job. I actually talk a lot to groups of young professionals within sport about sex and pornography. And we're just trying to shift that culture a little bit. The angle that we have and when we when we speak to people, I think young boys are accessing pornography at a much earlier age, quite freely. It's very graphic. It's quite unrealistic. Or it's very unrealistic. And I think they look at that and it's their first it's their first glimpse of what intimacy should be, but it's not really. It's a performance. It's extreme categories. It's extreme bodies. And it's an unhealthy picture of what, what sex looks like. But that conditioning that we talk about, a lot of these young you know, young lads are then feeling like they have to perform like what they've seen you know, in pornography. And it can be a Mm-hmm. really unhealthy and you know really dangerous you know world to to live in what are your opinions on on you know pornography whether that's male and female but some of the dangers that that come with that as well mm. i think you've i think you've shared that really quite well you know it is quite shocking that when when i was growing up it was like the lad mags on the the top shelf and now you, I mean, you can't get away from it. It's everywhere. It's the internet, you know, it, there's not a lot that you can, well, I'm sure there are limits you can, you can put around it. But as we know, as, as kids or, or young teenagers, very easy to, to break around those. And I think it is extremely damaging. And I can say from uh, how many conversations I've had with women ever since we've been growing up around just really what's, what's sad is that men thinking that that is, what women want mm. or that's you know that's what it seemed like from a woman's perspective and it's like this is terrible this is not good this is actually fundamentally not good and it's not pleasurable and so I think on the one hand just in terms of on the basic level of pleasure it's it doesn't work <laughs> and then like you were saying there Fraser like in terms of like the danger What's really sad about addiction, because I think, you know, listen, I can, I'm very open about talking about the fact I've been in Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous in the past, which was a very interesting experience, very eye opening to have men and women. It was, it was very triggering at times, but to really hear men being vulnerable and talking about porn addiction and all sorts of things like that, you normalize to it in the same way with a drug addict, you know, you need more and more of the drug to have the same effect it's exactly the same with porn and then that's when it starts to get really quite dangerous because 
even, you know, watching the most intense thing online is not going to do it for you anymore. I have no doubt that that's going to then lead to all sorts of awful things in real life. But it's still the culture of, you know, you you said say this, I mean, I'm interested to hear your experience of this, but I can only imagine that you say that to a teenage boy. And because it's like, it's the cool thing, it's, you know, trying to really get that into their, to make them realize that this is, this is not, this is not only not cool, like it's, it's actually really not going to serve you. It's not even going to serve your sex life. Ultimately, it's just not. But the sad thing is so much money. It's like, I mean, I I dread to think how much money that industry makes. Yeah. I I mean, we, I think it's, um, Fraser and I really open about, you know, the, the fact that I think it's done a hugely damaging porn generally has damaged men's view of sex and women and and when i when i'm saying that i also mean intimacy what is intimacy and i'm talking about from a personal point of view like not really understanding what intimacy is and so our generation has kind of been flooded with it and then it's kind of come down now to the young men who are just learning from our generation of like okay well this is just the way it is and i and i feel like we need to sound the alarm like no it's not this is not going to serve you this understanding what intimacy is is so important for for men and women but particularly men to really understand it because otherwise they just live in a completely unrealistic world where they're they're not finding a partner they're not enjoying being with a partner their partner's not enjoying being with them and they get more isolated and the whole thing just keeps rolling and rolling and I, I think it's unbelievably detrimental you know what I just thought about that I'd not maybe thought of before we were talking about vulnerability basically porn gets to be a cop-out because you don't have to put yourself on the line you don't have to engage what do you think about that yeah do you know you took the words out of my mouth I, I think it's I'd be and again I'd sort of throw a little bit back to you I, I wonder whether my, one of my learnings around love and intimacy is that and I think this is really common, and I think it ties into the, the effect of porn, is that it's all transactional. It's kind of like, I'll tell you I love you if you tell me you love me, you know, because porn is a kind of acting out of this transaction. I want something, you're going to give it to me. And and it, it creating this really perverse image around intimacy, that there's something in it. And, and I, I, I've had a in my life are huge learnings around that that trend learning to it not to be transactional intimacy not to be you sort of took the words out of my mouth because I, I was going to ask you do you think in relationships nowadays with everything we've talked about including female empowerment etc what people are looking for not sure what they're looking for is that transactional element of a relationship as powerful as as, as ever yeah you know what I think? I think that it's the Amazon Prime culture that we live in where we feel entitled to get the results that we want like that with no effort, with no no sense of discipline, no sense of work. We have no patience. And the message of my my book was was exactly about this because I, I said, you know, in, in the Amazon Prime culture we live in, we need to stop looking outside of ourselves for the partner we want to get. And we need to start looking inside of ourselves for the partner we want to be. And if you think about that in terms, and I didn't ever really mean that as related to sex, but actually it, it feels absolutely applicable. Instead of just what can I get? What can I get out of this? What can I give? What can I contribute? And the the irony is, that when you show up in all aspects of your life, living from what can I contribute and give? And I don't mean in a martyr way. I don't mean sacrificing yourself. I mean, giving from overflow. So taking care of yourself, feeling good within yourself, being self-aware, all of the stuff that we've talked about and sharing and giving from the overflow. That is where you experience true connection, true intimacy and true joy. You cannot fast track your way to those things. You know, Brene Brown talks about if you're going to numb out porn, drugs, whatever it is, the thing is you cannot selectively numb. You can't numb out just the bad things that you don't want to experience and just, you know, escapism without numbing out all the good things. So that, you know, coming back to porn, that's what happens. If you, sex, normal sex will just seem so, it won't do anything for you. 
if you've been showing up in your sex life and in your life just transactionally, what can I get? And I want it in the fastest way possible. And you're not giving anything. Don't expect to ever be fulfilled. Don't expect to ever be happy. Because, you know, what I've really learned and I've been with my husband now over eight years, coming up to eight and a half years. And the when I think we've we've had many adventures together, when I think of the the most joyful, fulfilled moments of our entire life, which interestingly coincide as well when I think about our physical relationship too, it was at those times that it was it's been the best, is when we were traveling around the world, we went and worked at this school in Nepal that had been destroyed by the earthquake. I was teaching these little kids Shakespeare. He was helping rebuild the school. We were sleeping in a tin hut and it was so fulfilling. We're in the mountains. It was beautiful. They, these people had nothing but the joy, the, the generosity of them and anything. You know, this summer we wrote, we put our own festival on, raised some money for charity. It was so fulfilling because it, we were coming from what can we not only what can we give to each other what can we give as a couple how can we show up and I just think it, it, it this is relevant to every single area of relationships friendships but also community you know what can I give that's that is how we break this horrible entitled transactional superficial cycle that we've all got ourselves in and con- with consumerism and, and porn is such a big part of it I love that Persia that's amazing to- I'm, amen to that 100% I just want us to with with everything we said I, I want us to sort of tackle this thing that I read about well, I actually heard about it and then I, I heard a phrase that it said millennials are retreating from sex so mm. I thought you know what? I'm gonna google this and there's some quite alarming statistics around sex and, and essentially how many people are having sex. And there's, there's one I, I found online saying it stated that there is a, as many as 40 million Americans in romantic relationships who aren't having sex. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and I go take that back to that kind of millennials are retreating from sex and sex being a primal thing you know men and man and we're obviously talking about heterosexual relationships here man and woman making a child it's the most primal part of being a human being and yet huge swathes of people retreating from it what's that about immediately i'll tell you what came to mind it's because of these these crack pipes aka phones where we are numbing out we are being programmed (laughs) We are having all of this stuff thrown at us constantly. There's no doubt that that must have a really detrimental effect on our ability to be in touch with our body and our desires. And and interesting, it's so it's like I think it's just the easier way we've talked already about just numb out with porn. Don't like that's the faster way to deal with it. But I think being in a relationship, you know, and and like, listen, me and my husband are as guilty as this as anyone. You're watching, you know, not only are you watching something on Netflix, you're, watching, you're not even watching it because you're both on your phone, mm. you know. And it's scary how much we are disconnecting from one another because of this. And I can speak from experience, again, when me and my husband, particularly it's when we're traveling or at a festival, because you don't have any phone signal at a festival, you just say, oh, and you just stop looking at your phone. So you're with the people. You're not looking down. You're with the people. You're looking in their eyes. You're connecting. And 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 suddenly, my our, our sex life, it's like it comes back. Like that that seems to be something that I've really noticed. That when you put the technology down, your relationship with sex shifts. What are your thoughts on that? God, it's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it's to do with the lack of connection. I think when I say connection, uh, there's obvious of connection with somebody else, but I think it's connection with yourself as well. Yeah. I think we just, we're living in an age where, and, and I'm definitely not sit, sitting on a high horse here trying to, you know, preach that I'm in any way got this better than anyone else. But we, we're in an age where we've just learned to numb ourselves constantly with yeah. with different bits of dopamine coming from whatever it might be. And, you know, that can be as as wild out there as drugs, but it can also just be Netflix or whatever it is. And, and I think if you go back to the sort of primal nature of sex, it's about connection between, you know, a man and a woman in a heterosexual yeah. relationship. And, and I think we've lost that. And I, and I think when two people I hear of a, friends or a couple who've lost that 
I think that connection's been lost a little bit of understanding what each other wants and and then it then just moving apart and it being really difficult to pull it back in an mm-hmm. age where there's lots of other distractions going on. Yeah. Fraser, what do you think? I've I've literally got a book next to me called Dopamine Nation. It's a like a really good book. Anna Lemke, she's called, so she does a lot on addiction. But just as you're talking there, it's when I think of what it would have been like, you know, back in the day when it, you know, is really primal and you think of when you would have connected, you'd have connected like around food, around a fire, you'd have been talking and there wouldn't have been much else to do other than connect. It's like now we've got all these hurdles in place. So you've got to jump over the phone, then Netflix, then this, then that. And it's like there's all these sort of barriers to that connection and to that intimacy as well. And it is, as, as you just said there, Persia, it's once you remove those, naturally you'll you'll connect a little more. And it's probably why maybe it's, you know, a lot of people connect when they go and have a spa day together or they have a little date night or whatever, and they consciously remove some of those blocks so they're not numbing mm. themselves with TV and they're sitting across a table and they're, you know, together in a pool or whatever it might be. But I just feel like we've got all these obstacles in the way at the moment and that might be be playing a big part as well completely completely oh me and my husband and i'm gonna really own this we we're in a terrible habit of like tv dinners because like his his family will sit down every night without fail and they will eat dinner at the table and me and my husband got really bad and because we're having this renovation done we're having a kitchen island i'm like right we're having nice chairs put there because it's because <laughs> it's like you've got to make it easy for yourself the food's already there just put it there but that's closer than going to the sofa because sitting at the dining table when there's just two of you feels like that's a bit bit fancy, a bit much. <laughs> but it's really bad. And it's like, well, you, need to, you actually have to put your phone in another room because we are addicted to them. We have, And, it, mm. you know, we have been trained. There's very, very, very intelligent people and computer AI that are, that have, you know, that are training us to be addicted to these things. So it's, it's not easy, you know. It's really not easy. And I, I love what you said there, Fraser. It's like, it's about like removing the hurdles as much as as possible make it easier for yourself to connect mm. you know i always feel better every morning when i've got my little ukulele i like sing and play and write songs and and i always feel better when i when i'm doing something that's with my hands that's that's not being on my bloody phone mm. it's it's uh you know playing an instrument painting all of those things i think that if you, it do, and it's not about like even putting this work out into the world if that's not your thing but i think that though doing things like that really helps you connect to yourself like reading a book how many times have you read a book and then you think of something and then you're checking your phone like i have to put my phone in another room when i'm reading a book sometimes it's really bad but when you it's it's interesting how your relationship with time changes and actually when you do sit and read a book yes our attention spans are so much shorter but it feels really good because it's like god this is this doesn't feel normal anymore reading books didn't was like what you did back in the day now we consume so differently so i do wonder i'm like where the bloody hell are we going to be in 10 years because i just i just don't know it it does it does concern me quite a lot with with the rapid speed with which all of this technology is going it's quite a that's quite a bum out note isn't it? <laughs> there's a question i wanted to ask you myself and luke have been sober for a long time luke a lot a lot longer than i have i know that less and less people are i think less young people are drinking than ever but alcohol is being consumed more than ever as well so there's like a big sort of divide mm. if that makes sense but where I've spoken quite openly openly about being sober I've had quite a lot of single guys in particular but girls as well ask about dating someone sober and not drinking but not wanting to come across boring a lot of first dates and those initial slightly awkward moments that that we we've all probably had have maybe been soothed with alcohol I think a lot of people think now I've removed that where do I go for a date? How do I date? Will the girl find this a turn on or a turn off? Have you have you started to see this a little bit more in, in the work that you do? Well, yeah. First, firstly, con- congratulations is the right word, but massive respect to you both. I'm actually the daughter of two addicts who um, alcoholics who've been sober now for for quite a long time. They both were in rehab a few times, so this is a very big part of my own context and story and why I ended up in such a mess in my love life. That was kind of where my addiction went but 
this this so this is a big part of my work and I used to be the, the person who would get yeah absolutely smashed on date one because I didn't fancy the guy and, and of course you know after two bottles of wine it's fair game but it was again it was it was a fear of vulnerability but when you're drunk you think on a date you think you are being vulnerable because you're saying all the stuff you just don't really remember it so I always say to to women go on the at least the first date sober just really chill go for a walk go for a coffee because if you don't have even if it you might feel a bit nervous that's normal but if you don't have that natural connection if conversation doesn't flow easily and organically then then at least you know that and it's not you know it might evolve and develop but it's just it's a really useful thing to because we we do we hide way too much and it and I think you know I funnily enough I'm actually I think it's like I'm on let me just check I actually haven't drunk for, I think it's day, it's day 60 today. How interesting. Yes, um, there it is. Yeah, like not not because, that was interesting synchronicity, isn't it? Not not because I've, you know, I feel I've got, I'm, an, I'm addicted to alcohol, but because it was more out of curiosity. It just sort of, I was interviewing someone on my podcast who stopped drinking, not because she was an alcoholic, but because she wanted to, it's like the, I mean, you guys will know that the alcohol matrix is a whole other thing. And when you step outside of it, you realize how pervasive it is in our culture. It's it's actually really quite scary. And I know from my experience, but also coaching so many women, how much alcohol can play such a, such a detrimental part in our relationships and the kind of people that we get into relationships with. So a lot of women do end up looking, when we work together, end up looking at their relationship with alcohol. And I just want to say that some of the craziest, most fun people I know are sober. You know, like, I I think that there is that narrative because of the culture we live in that says, oh, if you're sober, you're boring. I mean, my dad is like the least boring person I've ever met in my life. But you have to go and get your kicks in, in different ways, you know, hopefully healthier ways. So, you know, he climbs mountains and does all these really cool things. Um, I know plenty of people who go to festivals sober and, you know, th- th- there's so much going on there. And like, you know, my parents have been going to India. We travel a lot in India. You don't feel that you need a drink or anything when you're there because th- there's so much going on. You feel really stimulated. And also you don't really feel like you want to be on your phone when you're somewhere like that. So I think that that is a, a narrative that we and, it, you know, the, the sober movement and sober positivity. Um, I think it is being made more cool. Like a lot of people are wanting to do it, whether regardless of whether they feel they've got an addictive relationship with it, just kind of, it, you know, at the end of the day, let's be honest, it's poison. <laughs> and it's, it's not great for us. And, and all I mean, I could go in my soapbox about this, but all the wellness trends that talk about you know the 5-2 diet or all of these things and don't want to acknowledge the fact that like alcohol it's like you, you can do all those things but if you're putting that into your body it's poison and all of that sort of thing but basically in a nutshell I think that I think that alcohol has a huge negative part to play in romantic relationships I want to ask you one last question, Persia. So for the men out there who are finding it tough in the dating game at the moment, the relationship game, and they, I don't like calling it a game as if I sound like I'm a game show host, but you know what I mean. <laughs> well, what would you say to them right now? Oh, I would say, do you know what? You're not alone. I think that women are struggling, men are struggling. The key is to be brave enough to to talk about this and start like start with the low hanging fruit start with reaching out to people who are already talking about this or that you feel really comfortable to have these conversations even if that conversation starts with do you know what it, i'm finding it quite hard to be a man right now and to know how to show up in romantic relationships or whatever what are your thoughts just like really, you know, you're not saying anything more. You can start with that and just see where the conversation goes. Because as I've said so many times in this, like there are not any, there are just so many questions. And a lot of those questions don't necessarily have answers. But the first place to start is to just to, to feel safe enough to start engaging with this conversation. Don't go and try and start it with people who are, you know, are like not 
open to have it to going there because a lot of people are not they're like oh you know they they don't want to go into that they don't want to go into that vulnerability it's really scary so so just know that you're not alone and yeah it this is this is an ongoing journey but but engage with it engage with the conversation because there are a lot of people out there who are are trying to show up in in more positive and and healthier ways it does get easier. You can only do the healing in community. I really believe that. The isolation, as we've already discussed, that's where the problem is. That's the enemy. It's just being like not talking, staying in your, like, you know, not talking and, and being on your own. That's the problem. That's the real problem. So don't do that. Persia, thank you so much. Fraser, as always, a legend. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Understanding Men podcast. You can find us on all major social platforms, including Spotify, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. And we will, of course, be promoting every episode via our own personal social media handles. So please come and find us. As ever, we want this podcast to be as interactive as possible. So please message us, comment email, whatever, send us a dove with a message of topics that you want us to talk about because we do want to have the conversations that you want to have. Also, if you've liked what you've heard, then go ahead and hit the follow button so you never miss an episode. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts. If you can give leave us a review and possibly even five stars, that would be wonderful. They're creeping up very slowly. So anyway, thank you for now and we'll see you at the next. Bye.